This is far less glamorous than I think I'd imagined when we talked about like doing a podcast. But the listeners don't know that. (laughs) So don't break the, what do they call it? The fifth wall? The fourth wall. Well, the third wall. (laughs) (laughs) The third because, yeah, okay. Welcome to the Impact Podcast, the show where we explore how to build valuable businesses that make a positive impact. I'm your host, Ben Lee Ralph, from the Impact Positive Company, and in today's episode, I'll be joined by Jacinta Leroff, the owner of Champagne Electric, which is a collective of awesome wedding vendors who all come together to make sustainable weddings that bring the vibes. Now, Jacinta is my wife, and I wanted to have her on as part of our first episode because without her starting Champagne Electric and all the subsequent business strategy chats in our long car rides up to Canberra or over a beer or two on a Friday night, the Impact Positive Company wouldn't be here today, or at least it would look very different. So in this first episode, I wanted to bring uh, a bit of an abridged version of some of those conversations. So we talk about how to embrace your values and make them a core part of your business. We talk about the role risk plays in starting and running a business. We had a bit of a chat about how Jacinta approaches creating sustainable weddings where you don't have to sacrifice your wedding day experience. So to get us started, I asked, now that she runs a business, how does she see herself? The first thing that I thought would be interesting to talk about Mm. is that you've gone from a teacher, which is very easy to explain to people at parties, to what? To something that is not so (laughs) easy to explain to people. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, teachers kind of fit into that category of those jobs that kids say they want to be when they grow up because they understand them. So firefighters, (laughs) doctors, policemen, teachers. There's a whole bunch more, but you're right. It's the question, what would I then? (laughs) The question is, yeah, like I guess what do you say when you go to parties now? Mm. what you do. I usually lead more broadly and then I gauge interest. Because there's nothing worse, in my opinion, than someone kind of launching into a bit of an elevator pitch when often people are just asking it to be nice or to make sure there's no awkward silence. So I will start with something broad like I work in the wedding industry or I work in weddings. And what I find is that people are pretty interested in weddings because, again, it's something that they understand. Mm -hmm. Most people have been to them or had them know what they would like and not like if they did have them. And so that's an easy way to enter. But what I actually do is coordinate vendors and I put them together into packages to help couples have a pretty stress-free day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's, there's there's the long version of it. And then there's the, I work in weddings and then gauging interest. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny you say that, you feel like the elevator pitch. You don't like. You don't want to kind of force it on people. Mm. And I, I feel like I've always felt somewhat the opposite. Or I don't know if this is the same or whether this is the opposite. But I go into any conversation assuming that people don't care about the confusing IT consulting thing right. that I do. And so I always just kind of like somewhat mortally fear the question, mm-hmm. try and dodge it, or use some kind of analogy. Yeah. Which is then I always like, I think people are like, I just 
want to have a conversation with you. Why are you making it so difficult? <laughs> yeah, I think they come from a similar place. Mm. It's the same thing I imagine for accountants. Like people are like mm. very into being an accountant. Are but they? you mention it. Oh, talk, like there are people who aren't into it, but there are totally people who are like, they could talk about it all day. Yes. But it's just kind of like classic, God, that sounds like a boring profession. Mm. Whereas working in the wedding industry sounds like an exciting There's something somewhat glamorous about it, maybe. Maybe IT's not as glamorous an industry, (laughs) but still very interesting. What would your default be then if someone was to ask you that question? I I mean, in past lives, when I was at Beaker and Flynn, I would always just say, like, I own a small consultancy. Mm. Is like the way I would try and summarize it up. Yep. Now I think... I'm not sure if I've landed on anything in particular, but I mm. think, uh, I mean, the business is called the Impact Positive Company, and I think I would like to say that I help people build impact positive companies. Yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's difficult or what could be difficult is that when you own a business, own and run a business, the business itself or the company itself is not you. And so if someone's asking you what it is that you do, that is different to what it is that you offer. And I think reflecting on it now, maybe what I am nervous about in terms of an elevator pitch is going too much into what my company does when really I should focus on, well, if I was going to explain what it is that I do day to day in the business, what would I say? And then I would say something like, I am a coordinator, I'm a floral designer and I'm a wedding performer. And that's all, you know, all the hats I wear under what is my business. That's, I feel like I've had this conversation or formed this conversation with like a lot of people mm. and I, that has hit me like a very new thought, which is when you run something, you are telling pe- people in the house, what company yeah. do you work for? They say, what what, are, you, you what are your company values? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like trying to fit that in is weird. You know, it's like, mm. oh, I run a business is probably the closest. Yeah. And the business, to- owner, like what would we, what would we write on that little slip? <laughs> You know, when you're coming back into the country and you're on the airplane and they give you, I don't know, 15 characters, what do you do? What's your occupation? Is it business owner? (laughs) Do we write all the slashes in there (laughs) to try and prove something? (laughs) Totally. Um, I've certainly moved from um, founder to business owner. Like I feel like when I was young, Mm. I really liked the idea of being a founder. Yeah. And now like that kind of makes me feel a bit cringe. I'm like, oh, I just run a company. It makes me, it just reminds me of the founding fathers. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, there's something quite archaic about it maybe. I would just think of like the weird, like social network in Silicon Valley. And, oh like, yeah. Founder bros, okay. but like, um, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that the word entrepreneur has the same ick factor? A hundred percent. You wouldn't say that about yourself. It's like something other people say about people, yes. but it's, but if you say it about yourself, then. Then it's it. problematic. Compl- yeah, totally. I agree with that completely. And I find it weird that you could go and study to be an entrepreneur. Those Can two you? things feel classic. Like, no, like they clash. Can you study to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's like a university degree in entrepreneurialism. Enterprise? Yeah. Entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurship sounds mm. right. Yes. Okay, so back to you. <laughs> so like when you tell people that you work in weddings, what are they most interested about? Like, what are, like, what's the, like, if they're generally interested, like, what's their follow-up question then? 
I think everyone in these types of conversations, it doesn't matter what you do. They try to insert themselves into it to form a connection. Mm -hmm. So with teaching, it was always, oh, I loved my grade three teacher. I have the best memories from primary school. And with weddings, it's, oh, I went to my cousin's wedding last week and it was just heavenly. You need to see photos, you know. (laughs) So that's usually the first response. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I think secondly to that, they just want to find out what that means. Mm -hmm. So if I use the word coordinator, it's like, are you there on the day? Um, What do you do, you know, during the days? Does that mean a lot of weekend work? You know, it's followed by questions, which which then makes it easier to over time explain the full picture. Yes. Like they're going to ask the questions they're interested in. Yeah. And by the end of it, you will have talked about what you do. Yes. Yeah. So I'd be keen to know, I mean, you mentioned that like people try and inject themselves in. I think that's, I think that's very true. Mm -hmm. Like it's like trying to get like the foothold into understanding it. Mm -hmm. Um, What is it about, I guess, your childhood or your upbringing that feels like it led you to what you're doing now? Oh, interesting question. Let me think about that for a moment. (laughs) Yeah, take your time. I only became interested in weddings really when, can I say we? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) People are going to know that we're married. Okay, when we were planning our wedding. Oh, yeah, people, well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they can know that we're married. I'm not like trying to use you as like a testimonial. No, change your last name. Yeah, yeah. Um, When we were planning our wedding. But prior to that, I spent a lot of my childhood and teenage years and early twenties trying to, or successfully being a musician, like it was trying to, and then it eventually became part of my business, but I was always singing. I was always performing. I knew that that was something I wanted, how I wanted to spend my days. And when I started doing that at weddings, I just found a lot of joy in that. It's, it's a day that everyone will remember, you know, if you're the bride and groom. Um, it's very special. It's meaningful. And I think that having live music there on the day really sets the tone, much like your celebrant would, much like your photos would. Um, it's part of an experience. And I really enjoy being a part of that. And so that's how I initially got into weddings in general. But I think there's skills and experiences from childhood that, kind of have all fused together to give me a sense that, you know, I, I am good at what I do. Things like working in teams, leading teams, naturally delegating, being highly organized, talking to people, loving being around people, interested in events, you know, they're all things in a checklist and then you put them together and you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. But I would... Seeing people know that we're married, I can mm. talk about no something yes. about you. Yes. And one of the things that I guess I really like about you, I liked about you early on, is just how eclectic your like background of jobs is. And I felt like yeah. that somewhat like matched my background in a way. Like this idea yeah. that you were like, oh, I'm going to go and be a musician and I'll move down to Melbourne. And now I'm off and I'm going to study to be a teacher and then do a master's and go to Japan. Like all of those mm things can like one leads to the next, leads to the next. Mm-hmm. Are there things, I guess, in particular, pretend, like 
it's it's easy for me to see the connection between you learning music and you being a wedding performer. Are there other links or things that you've discovered through like maybe teaching or traveling or whatever that have like come in handy? Yeah, I think that you and I discovered one thing in particular when we were in lockdown and we were both in the house working and I would, you know, start each day or spend the, you know, the first part of my day talking to the kids, having a classroom of, you know, 11 year olds and you would be in the other room and you would be, I think you were mostly consulting at the time and we would listen in on each other's conversations or talk about our day. And we discovered that there was this overlap, quite a big overlap in what we did. So I think even though teaching was always with children, (laughs) it does teach you a lot about clear communication. It teaches, well, it taught me a lot about quick thinking on my feet, being flexible, you know, no day is the same, being okay with, you know, working long hours and or big stints of really busy periods and then having time off. Um, Every teacher listening would relate to that. And so those things I think have really helped in developing Champagne Electric. I'm just thinking about travel. I think just talking to, meeting lots of people with lots of experience and lots of tastes helps you to develop quite a strong sense of what your taste is. I think that comes through in my brand and I perhaps wouldn't have that if I hadn't jumped around so much, maybe. Yes. Look, I think one of the things about your brand and you as a person that's very powerful is you've got a pretty strong sense of who you are or what your brand is. Like you look at it and you go, oh, I get who this is for. Mm. Or people can resonate it, resonate with it in a way that some brands you look at and you're like, oh, that could be for anyone or yeah. it's not taking a particular stance. Yeah. I wonder if if you'll come to see this, you know, the more small business owners you talk to or creative people you talk to. But I always thought that if you were going to start a small business, that your offering and your branding was basically an extension of you. And over time, it might develop into something different. But because it's just you at the start, that's always going to come through. And so even over the space of the last year, Champagne Electric has somewhat developed and evolved but right from the start it was basically a representation of me and I think you could have seen any facet of the business and gone that's got just enter on it yes well completely and I think funnily enough I think that that's often a trap like it can be good or it can be bad Mm. in some ways it can be good if you can like lean into it and like continually craft something that becomes quite specific Whereas if your business ends up becoming an extension of you, it can also then be hard for you to say, oh, my business doesn't do that or my business isn't like that because you're like, I'm Yes, or to scale, you know, if you are going to, I guess it would work both ways if you're wanting to expand your target or if you're wanting to niche down. Both of those things, you would have this moment where you go, it's either broader than what I like (laughs) or it's, niche down into something that's now no longer representative of me. Yes, Mm. completely. So just before you mentioned stuff that we learned in lockdown about each other, and I actually had prepared a part of this, which was like directly from something we did. Oh, really? In lockdown. Um, 
So I want to like, obviously talk about values. Values is something I think we talk about a lot in lots of different ways when we talk about um, business. Mm-hmm. And so I put together like a like, would you rather okay. game. <laughs> so, I mean, for people who are listening who aren't us, yes. the would you rather game that we would play with each other, but then I think you would do with your students uh-huh. is like we would come up with something like, if you had to like have a fight that took place under the sea, would you rather have a shark with nunchucks or a swordfish? Yeah. That was the only one I could actually remember. Us it was a particularly potent one. Yeah. I think I get, you know, it's like day 192 of lockdown. I've done these warm ups with my class every day, dwindling numbers, cameras are turned off, no one's engaging. And I turn to you because you were very creative and can think of these things on the spot, you know. And I was like, how am I going to get them today? <laughs> and that was one that came up that um, they actually they answered, participated. They answered that one. Yeah. yeah, I feel like you'd bring them back into like the world of reality <laughs> somewhat. I was like trying to think of one today and I was like, is it going to be like hot dogs for hands? Or and then I couldn't think of like what the equivalent was. But anyway, so the, the view that I put together, um, it would be good for you to tell me which one okay. you would pick and why. Mm-hmm. So the first one is, would you rather be slow and perfect or fast and fallible? Essentially, take your time and get things right or like move fast, break things. <laughs> I, I know which one I am <laughs> um, and I know which one I want to be more. So I am the second one. Yeah. Um, move fast. I move fast and break things. And I think I've got a thick skin and a growth mindset. So I tend to get back into things pretty quickly after that. But I would like to be slower and more considered. I think I'm very methodical. So this is the part of the first one. There's there's elements of that first one that I think I already am. Mm -hmm. But in terms of fast and slow, I'm fast. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that there was any part of you that was like, I wished you were a bit more slower. That I was slower? Yeah. I think you've been such a big part of the business so far and you force me to slow down when I need to. And I wonder if you weren't there, how I may have made mistakes that would then be harder to fix after. Yes. I, I mean, I see that. I, I could see my impression being more like, oh, how do we think about this differently? Mm. But I think somewhat that comes from like most of the things that I do come from like building things. Mm-hmm like building technology things. Yes. And that often requires more like thinking through many things that might or might not occur Hmm. in the future. Yeah. Um, So I think potentially that's the lens. I have a a good example. Yeah. I don't don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's interesting, but it just came to mind. We will be the judge of good, I guess. (laughs) It just came to mind. We were um, earlier today, you and I, working through some finishing touches on a new element of our website, which is a portal. And there was a questionnaire that I had to proofread. And I think I started in the middle rather than at the start. I started in the middle and I just started adding columns (laughs) to like all of these lines of text. And then I scrolled back up to the top and I realized that I'd already formatted the first few questions in the way that I wanted them to look and they didn't have columns. So then I had to go back and erase the columns, and then you had a suggestion that we italicize them, and then it was perfect. But I think yeah. that's a, a good example of fast <laughs> yeah. 
maybe didn't think it through um, and then kind of had this like ugh moment when I realized what I'd done. 100%. I totally get that. Uh, as the person sitting there next to you, I feel the frustration. But I feel like the opposite could also be true, which is that we could not, we could have talked about it for ages, not <laughs> yeah. done anything, like not ended up recording this today, but we really nailed the like the italics text. Yeah. Yeah. I could have done, I could have made a table of like what kinds of people like italics, what kinds of people are going to be confused by a double colon, you know, and wait up. But it's not my stuff. No, I, I can think of a way that I annoyed you earlier on too. <laughs> I'm not sure annoyed you. Like there are sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Um, but I remember we'd go on these walks and you'd ask like my opinion on something. And then I would start the sentence, which is like, well, there's two or three ways that you could think about it. <laughs> and I feel like once you stop me, you're like, but what would you Yeah, say? what's the answer? What's right the now? answer? Mm. Um, and that's my way of potentially deflecting. I've realized it's part of your process though. So it doesn't annoy me. Yes. Um, I know where it's coming from now. It's And I recognize its importance. Yes, that's lucky. <laughs> uh, and generally speaking, there are three things. <laughs> okay, so look, the next one I have was there's a choice, I guess, or two extremes around one being overly transparent and the other one being like kind of cryptically closed. Mm-hmm. I mean, in particular, like in all areas of life, but I think in particularly business, you can take a stance around you're going to kind of share everything. And like, sometimes that can be too much or you might lose friends or that mm. might be confronting, or you could be a bit black box and people don't know mm. how to deal with you. Which one of those would you choose? Why? In business? Yeah. Actually, I don't know why I said in business, because this is true. My answer is going to be true about how I live my life too, personally. I would rather be open book transparent. I know that there's cons that come with that, but I think it's a very strong value of mine um, that has become a very strong value of Champagne Electric. Mm -hmm. I think it's dishonest to purposely be cryptic for a customer who is open and willing to hear, you know, they're trusting you, especially in the wedding space. People have no idea. Mm -hmm. So they're trusting you and they're entrusting you with a lot of money for your expertise. And I think it's only fair that I am open with them about how that's being spent, that I'm open with my vendors about bookings and how much money they're getting and how much, you know, what card I'm taking and everything like that. So I know that those two examples are both money related, but I think that it's broader than that. Um, it's about being really open about how you run your business, about showing up on social media. I'm like very much the face of the business and I make sure that I, that it's authentic, you know, it's real. I make mistakes, you know, just today I posted an Instagram story about an event that we're doing this weekend and I had made a mistake in it and I didn't take it down. I just, you know, recorded another very short video and said, I actually skipped the date. In that, it's happening here. Hmm, I'm silly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's – I think it pays off as well in a much bigger way. Yes. I mean, because that's that's one of the things I guess I was going to ask, which is in the wedding space, Mm. like like, there's two examples that you used. One is how you deal with customers. Yeah. And the other is how you deal with vendors. Like you kind of sit between and kind of help all of those parties come together. Yes to plan something that for the person who's having the wedding, this is probably the only time 
hopefully the only time they're going to do this. Yes. Or the very few times. So you have a lot more information yes. than they do. Yeah. And so from like a whole, like I guess a cold, hard business perspective, there is power in you have more information than they have. Yeah. Um, and I guess what would you say to the idea that you are probably making less money than mm. you could because of that stance? Um, I sleep well. (laughs) (laughs) You do sleep well. I sleep really well. Um, and I think a part of that is I don't, I'm not stressed about ever doing the wrong thing. Yeah. People could, here's another example. We list vendors across, you know, a range of categories, photographers, celebrants, and live musicians. And I put those people's names on their advertising, I link it to their, you know, personal brand because I I'm here to help them as well, you know, jump if they're the they're the people who are offering the service, they're the talent. And I know that some people will click into say Xavier's Instagram page and book directly with him and that loses me money. Mm-hmm. But I feel better doing that than I do giving him an alias to gatekeep his talent in the industry and probably drum up some resentment from him. Mm. I would feel really anxious about it. It just doesn't work for me or or them. So yes. yeah, my uh, answer to that is I just, I have a clear conscience. Yes. <laughs> Look, I think it was one of those things when you came in, like that was kind of an industry norm that yeah. in somewhat didn't make sense to you mm. and that because you had this value yeah. for something you chose not to do. Yeah. I could go, it's champagne electric music and you have no idea who's going to rock up on the day. And plenty of, you know, plenty of agencies do that. They're very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, they've built trust in the industry. I could do the same with my photographers. Oh, it's champagne electric photography. You don't need to know anything about who's shooting on the day. But these are people. <laughs> like we're a people-centered business. And so I, I try to show value to the couples by showing them who these people are. And hopefully that, well, it has so far worked in our favor. People appreciate that. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree, yeah. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a really awkward part of the podcast. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the reason I organized this, just because we need to have a hard chat. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, the next one is, would you prefer to have not enough of the perfect client or too many difficult clients? <laughs> Oh, God. Um, Not enough of the perfect client. Because if I've got any perfect clients, and I do right now, I'm I'm working with some beautiful couples who are the epitome of my target demographic, which makes me so happy. Mostly because, you know, our target demographic is basically me. And so then I get to meet lots of people who who like the same things that I do. But I think that if I didn't have enough, that would be reflective of something that I needed to change from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. I was advertising in the wrong places. People weren't seeing what I wanted them to see. Or well, the right people weren't, you know. And then if I if I shifted that, then I would get more of those perfect clients. Yeah. So it's not about them not existing. I think they're out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But how are we showing up so that they so we're making ourselves visible mm-hmm. to the right people. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Look, there's there's certainly like I think two different approaches and then I might think of a third as I talk, but there is that idea that you were like, 
go out to the market and do all this user testing and then like use that to kind of create what you do. Mm. Or there's the way which is like you kind of decide, here's who I'm going to serve, here's what I'm going to do, here's how I'm going to do it. And then you go out and find the people mm-hmm. and then resonate. And it feels like that's kind of what you're doing. You're not yeah. going out there and kind of asking for a thousand different opinions and then kind of trying to make something that's for everyone. Mm-hmm. But instead it's like here is like a curated thing mm-hmm. that I think people want. And, and, it's, and it's a gap in the market. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and taking mm-hmm. feedback. Um, it's very affirming when even if it's a handful of people at the start when we launched who are so grateful to have found our offerings because they what they couldn't find it anywhere else and it's exactly what they were looking for. Yes. Yeah. But not I, something they would have known to ask for. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I also think that what would make clients in in quotations difficult is that we're just misaligned. Yes. And if they found a service that was better suited, suddenly they're not so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's yes. I, I think that that's, that's true. They're not difficult in and of themselves. They're yeah. difficult because there's misalignment. Yes. Which is probably not the worst segue into the next section, which is massive wedding or no wedding. <laughs> um, massive uh, in brackets, champagne electric wedding. Um, no, I mean like <laughs> massive wedding in like you invite everyone you've ever met, even if you don't really feel like Oh, we're talking about guest lists? Yeah, like mm. guest lists. And then I guess all of the bells and whistles. So they've got, you know... The massive yeah. cake, the massive, like, I can never say the word, bon bonnier, bon like bonnier, all the different, yeah. I guess, the trimmings yes. that come along with that. Um, I'm going to answer it personally and then I, I'm going to try and offer a solution. <laughs> <laughs> personally, I would have no wedding. Mm-hmm. I think if, if you'd come to me as my future husband and said, we are either going to have a 500-person wedding yeah. <laughs> at Crunksino or nothing, I would say nothing. That's for us. Yes. Personal purpose. Yeah, this is a personal, personal question. Yeah. Yes. If, if a client came to me and one of their values as a couple was including everyone special to them on the day and they were genuinely special to them and they have this huge network, I know culturally, you know, sometimes it becomes this very large thing. I think I would then recommend ways for it to still be an impact positive wedding, a sustainable wedding, while still optimizing for that guest list. I think having a large guest list doesn't equal maybe over the top luxe wedding. Mm -hmm. Like they're not synonymous. Often they are, but they're not. They don't have to be. They don't have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) Which, look, Texas, like you mentioned impact positive. And so my next question was around, like, how have you approached setting up Champagne Electric to be a positive force in society? Um, But to provide, like, a little bit of context um, around, like, what it means to be impact positive or where that came from. Mm. I feel like that came from chats that we had around starting businesses, Mm -hmm. which is a bit of a um, driving the car or holiday you start talking about. Or at least I started to talk about and we could turn this into a business. We could do that. Um, and there's something about like wanting to me wanting them to be ethical or sustainable, mm-hmm. but that that can often come through this lens of like doing less. You know, it kind of puts this blocker on. Well, how can we let like let's not do things? 
right? Like, oh, if we want to do that, then that's not, that's going to have some negative impact in yeah. some way. Like I think in some ways everything has has some negative consequences, of like course. just living or like any products that you might buy or having yeah. a wedding, like all of these choices that you make mm. are yeah. probably the most ecologically sound yeah. decisions that you could make. Yeah. But that we wanted to find a way or I wanted to find a way to have different language around that so mm. you could have a growth mindset, like this sense that like, oh, I want to go out into the world and do things and change things yeah. and all of that. Mm-hmm. Create something that is on net a positive influence mm-hmm. on society. So yeah. it is, you know, like good for the environment or he tries to limit carbon emissions, yeah. but that also we can do other things to be of benefit. Totally. Or it could be benefit to you and your family. It could be benefit for like the people who work for you. Yes. There are so many, I mean, like certainly companies that have very good, I guess, green credentials. Mm. And then you ask or you kind of find out, like, what is it like to work there? Mm. And it's like, oh, they kind of, like, they tick all these boxes, but it's very high stress environment Mm. for Mm. people to work in. So there's just lots of different trade-offs. Yes. So I guess my question is, like, how do you see that? at Champagne Electric, how have you made some of these trade-offs to try and make it align with your values? It's a great question. I think if I was to visualize what it is, it's a scale. Mm -hmm. And you've got lots of things that go into a wedding that weigh down one side. But all the things that you're talking about that might not directly align, but in terms of its impact overall, starts to balance that out. So I think the design of the business, doing a really solid business plan at the start helped to make sure that every decision that then followed was in alignment with values. And those car rides helped for sure. So it started with the people. I wanted to hire people that had similar values, um, who shared values especially in the wedding space, who wanted to make change, be less traditional, be a little bit more innovative. And that has paid off because they are out there like spruiking the, (laughs) spruiking the message, you know, and we're all kind of in this collective force. So I would also like to think that they enjoy being a part of what we're building. And because I have been very transparent with them, we are very much in partnership it's not an employer-employee relationship or a con- contract, con- who's that? <laughs> a boss yeah. contractor thing. Yes, yeah. Yeah, we're very much building it together. So that's number one mm-hmm. with the vendors. And then in terms of what we offer, it all just fell into place because I had vendors who shared my values, shared the company values. What they were offering was already, it already had that, sustainability focus in mind Mm -hmm. so doing you know focusing on local weddings we charge a little bit extra for travel because we carbon offset our vehicles we you know all of our musicians make sure that we have really solid gear so that we're not having to replace things all the time we dispose of anything that we absolutely need to dispose of ethically or we on sell we all have this like this mindset Weddings, I think, are a very good example. Like, I feel like they illustrate the point of what impact positive means Mm. very well. Because 
I think weddings can have a pretty bad reputation for being something that's quite wasteful yes. and unnecessary. Yes. Right? I just feel like I I proposed and, yeah, very tempor- temporary and you think about having the wedding. Mm. But that it is also something that's, like, you can't deny very important. Yeah. Or, like, I, it was one of the best things we've ever done and I wouldn't, like, not do that. Yeah. And so being able to offer here's the best version mm. of that. Here's yeah. how you can have your values mm. about being sustainable. Here's how you can make good choices, yeah. but not have to have the whole conversation feel about sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's a really good example of kind of what that it's should so, be. Yeah, like, it's know. so true. And even to go back to planning, even what we were going to offer in terms of why, you know, how did we end up at these categories of vendors? And they are what I believe to be key vendors, key people that you need on the day. And we're trimming the fat of all that bombinary, I don't know how to say it, bombinary or very temporary bridal suite wear and (laughs) transport and things that are nice but not necessary. Even if you browse our website, it's not going to be for everyone because what we're offering... I think is very curated and the focus is on quality, not quantity. Yes. And to go back to, you know, if I was in the, if I was in this business to make the most money that I could, I would have a section of my website where I was selling confetti and I would have a, you know, and I, I'd have all of these things because it's very easy to do that, but it's not in line with the impact positive way. Yes. Um, Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually quality was something that, you had as a value when you're asking me, like, what do you think about these values? Yeah. And I don't know if it, like, really struck me right away how that was linked or it's like I had this sense of, like, quality being, like, linked to things like prestigious, mm. whereas quality is much more about, like, reusability. Like, getting something that mm. is of high quality means that you can use it lots of times. You don't have to replace it yeah. over and over again. Yeah. And so it was possible to, like, have a high quality wedding yeah. that wasn't all like plinths and yes. yeah. um, I don't know what else yeah. kind of goes with those trappings of big weddings. Is that a question? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly can be. Yeah. I was, re- I was inspired by how much we actually reused or repurposed from our wedding and how little waste we had at the end of the day and without much effort, just leading from that place right from the start, getting some advice along the way. And yeah, so it, it kind of cemented that it's not hard. And so if it's a value that you have in your everyday life, you can have it in your wedding, for your wedding, without sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. I did want to talk about one more part of our business yeah. um, where I think there's been quite a sustainable focus and that's the introduction of our floral and styling packages. So I think one of the most temporary, most wasteful parts of a wedding is often the styling elements. Mm -hmm. So all of the flowers in particular um, that are often, you know, sometimes used for half an hour for a ceremony and then never seen again. And so that it took me a while to, you know, do my research and understand how that part of the industry works. But we are very proud to say that we don't use any um, plastic in our business. That includes floral foam, which, you know, is really harmful for the environment, has toxic chemicals in it, any soft plastics. We use all reusable vessels. We design very seasonally. 
and we have packaged in uh, like a take-home uh, floral service so that I or someone in the business will be there on the day to make sure that your guests can go home with beautiful flowers <laughs> that are wrapped up and they can extend their, you know, their life (laughs) and the joy and there's not just a bunch of beautiful beautiful things that took a lot of care and design that they're not just going in the trash yes at the end of the day and it's like it creates a thing that people talk about like that happened at the end of i think our wedding yeah and i like i don't know where that came from you probably do i'm not sure was it the venue who like put that together yeah that's something that you did and then i didn't (laughs) (laughs) um Um, it was it was the venue suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like of all the things that you plan on the day, I got a lot of comments about that at the end of the night. About yeah. like, oh, what a great idea that you can like take the flowers home yeah. in like an easy way. Yeah. Um, but it was also the way that they were presented. It made yes. them very easy to then package. Whereas if you, I'm not going to bore the listeners <laughs> with like the mechanics of floristry, but basically a lot of the unsustainable tropes of floristry actually make it impossible to then break apart and reuse yes so yeah we designed with that in mind which i'm very proud of (laughs) um so i mean this is coming to the end of it now yeah um the things i want to talk about now is like what's next for you like what's the next 12 months what's the next five years i think at the moment i'm looking more so for the next 12 months yeah and that's because it's less scary (laughs) but also i i'm in a privileged position being in weddings in that we often get our bookings like 12 to 18 months ahead. And so it makes it much easier to plan forward. But I think the main focus for me is about lifestyle, about how this business can marry (laughs) together with a lifestyle that we want Mm -hmm. and help us live the life that we want without having to wear too many hats outside of the business. Mm-hmm. Ideally, I would be running the business and working in the business full-time mm-hmm. in 12 months. Um, not to say I don't love teaching, but it is just, you know, it's a lot of switching. Yes. So in order for that to happen, I guess we would have to continue to be profitable. Mm-hmm. I'd like to put I'd like to put a substantial amount of the money that we're making actually back into the business, mm-hmm. which is a very scary <laughs> Very scary thought, Um, but if we're making enough, then I should be able to pay myself and do that at the same time, and that's going to help us to grow. And a big focus also is just increasing our visibility in the scene. It's a very dynamic scene in Melbourne. There's a lot of fantastic companies that already exist, great vendors. Obviously, we work with some of them, some of them we don't, but I want to build the name um, and continue to make connections with people because I think... It is just once you have that community, it makes it much easier to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. So, I mean, so 12 months from now, remind me what those things are. You're looking to have the business, have you in it full time. Yes. Uh, getting the brand name out there more so than it is now. Yes. Um, this feels like a test that I'm failing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't structure it very well. I want to be profitable. Yes. I want to be working in the business. I want to be able to leave teaching. I think that was it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a good amount of things. <laughs> um, oh, I've got one more thing. Yes. I think in 12 months also, I want to, when I was planning the business out, there were five 
arms of like what we were going to offer almost like a hand (laughs) (laughs) at the moment we have four of them and I would love to start working with venues they were the fifth finger (laughs) I'd love to start working with values aligned venues to offer our packages because I think that that is that's the entry point for a lot of couples and I think it could really benefit the venue the couple us could be really awesome way to expand the business as well yes absolutely it makes sense once you have venues that like really you have all of the key elements yes of making that day yeah which makes it easy for people to kind of just rock up and go oh i need the champagne electric wedding yes um, and get everything that they kind of want yeah yeah that's nice so i mean to, i guess to ladder up to that say 12 months from now best case scenario you have all of those things 12 months from now, worst case scenario, you don't. (laughs) Um, I folded. (laughs) You folded. It's over. It is no longer for this world. In that situation, what happened? Like what went wrong? What got in the way? What didn't you do? Like what? Tell me that story. I think, I don't know if this is correct, but I think (laughs) that a lot of our success so far has had to do with a comfortable amount of risk and stepping up and saying, why not? And trying things. And I think if I was no longer succeeding in 12 months from now, it would be because I stopped putting myself forward for things that scare me. Mm -hmm. So that's the risk element. And also maybe saying yes to things that don't allow me space to grow the business. Mm -hmm. So that might be saying yes to more teaching work or, you know, not opening myself up to to change. Mm-hmm. Like if something's not working in the business and I'm too fixated on it staying exactly the way that we started, that's also, yeah, a way that it could, could go, could could go, go bad, bad, I think. Yeah. 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 Seems right. I mean, I feel like that links back pretty well with your <laughs> values around like jump in, take some risk, yes. see how it goes. Yes. And that there could be an inclination as you get bigger. Mm to start falling for the trap a little bit of like, oh, let's slow down or be more careful or taking less risk because as things get bigger or as things become more successful, the downside or taking risk somewhat becomes bigger too. Yes. And so it's trying to find how to keep that spirit or being able to experiment or take risks without being detrimental to the business. Yeah. Another thing that, I think we've spoken about Mm -hmm. a little bit. Well, it's on everyone's mind at the moment is recession. Mm -hmm. And I've thought about how that might impact weddings. And I think anyone who, who runs a business is thinking about this right now. How will it affect my business? Yeah. And it's like the recession is one element of it, Mm. but it's the fact that everyone's thinking about a recession (laughs) almost is the, the problem. It's like, is whether there is a recession or not, or mm. whether people start spending less yes. or not, is, diff- is, you know, I guess downstream of is everyone just feeling nervous Yes. about a recession and then that stops people booking things. Totally, yes. Mm. Um, and it directly impacts my couples mm. and that has impact on the business. So, you know, we can't forecast what's going to happen, but I think I, I try to focus on... The fact that we are in the business of having very mindfully 
planned and executed wedding. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to have a wedding, this is the kind of wedding that you may have if you are worried about a recession. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's true. It's also funny um, in terms of weddings is that it's one of the things that you're buying for later. Like there are very few purchases in life where you make the purchase now with the idea that you're going to have the event and spend the money a year from now. Yeah. And so that creates an interesting dynamic in that like people are making choices now based on what they think will happen a year from now. Yeah. Which is hard to predict. Yeah. And people are still nervous about everything that happened during the pandemic because a lot of people lost out. They Because there was so much forward planning with their weddings and then everything got Everything was so up in the air for so long, such a roller coaster. Some people didn't end up having them, or they had them two years later, or they had them, but you know, people's life circumstances change, and all of a sudden their vendors are living overseas or not working in the industry anymore, or have had a baby, and there's all this flexibility mm-hmm. that you need. So I, I don't, I don't envy <laughs> couples who are planning a wedding right now, but I think my advice would be to just. Just focus on maybe three things that you want to optimize for and then work towards that. And then you can't really go wrong. That was the Impact Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find show notes from today's episode on theimpactpositivecompany.com and you can find Jacinta at champagneelectric.com.au. We'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which we are recording and gathering today. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners joining us. We recognise the deep connection they have with this land, their cultural heritage and the significance of their ongoing role in caring for and preserving this land for generations to come.